Hey guys, this is Rob and welcome to question number 28. Does pretentiousness hurt the world of beer and music? It's my conversation with head brewer and owner, head brewer and owner, Kevin Welsh of Boom Island Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. Here's the deal. Before we even dive into this, technically a standalone interview conversation question. However, but was it like two or three episodes? Mm-hmm. I interviewed his wife, Chusha. And had an amazing conversation with her. If you haven't checked that out yet, it's pff, you don't need to have listened to it. This isn't a back-to-back one like I've done before with Matt Patrick, say. My conversation with Chusha ruled. What? Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> it's not a back-to-back one like mine with Matt, Matt Patrick, see? See? Why do you say see? You did. Oh, I did? Oh, whoops. I didn't even notice that. Uh, <laughs> You see, <laughs> it's fine. If you do want to check that one out, it's question number 26. Does craft beer belong to white men? Ooh, controversial. Mm. Ooh, kind of makes you want to go listen to it. Yeah. So, all right, <laughs> let's move on. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. I'm joined, as always, by my wife, my... Diane Keaton. My wife, my Diane Keaton. (laughs) Sarah Morgan, here at our dining room table. What inspired that? First thing I could think of. And she's cool. Dan Keaton does rule. You play very well. Oh, yeah? So do you. Oh, God, what a, what a dumb thing to say, right? I mean, you say it, you play well, and then right away, I have to say you play well. Oh, oh, God, Annie. Well, oh, well. <laughs> la-di-da, la-di-da, la-la, yeah. She's gotten better with age. Hope I do that. You know, Sarah, all this talking about Dan Keaton is making me thirsty. And nothing quenches. I'm f- listen, Sarah. I'm so glad we don't have to deal with sponsors because if we did, I would have to tell you that Guinness beer is the number one beer on planet Earth. However, with this episode sitting down with head brewer Kevin Welsh, I feel like we need to set aside the Guinness. I think so. And crack open the only thing that is applicable to today's episode. And so right now, Sarah and I are cracking open. A witness from Broom... I do that all the time. Broom Island. From Broom Island. From Boom Island Brewing Company. I think when the microphone's in front of me, I just overthink Stumbly bumbly. Stumbly bumbly. I know. Sarah, tell us a little bit about Witness from Boom Island. Do you want to? Well, Witness is a wit beer, which is actually a white ale, not a wheat ale. Though there is wheat in it. It's 5% ABV, made with coriander, chamomile... And a little bit of orange peel. Ooh. And it's delicious. I wonder if it sounds like I'm just peeing into a cup right now. Probably. All right. There you go. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Toby. You almost didn't cheers me. Cheers my new beer. (laughs) (laughs) Super cloudy. Mm. Yum. 
That is good. I like it most from the bottle because it's... Really? Even more than on tap? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes. No. I almost said I'll put a link of the address in the show notes, and then I just remembered that this is the most interactive podcast on the face of the earth, and if you go to our website, thecuriouspod.com, right there on the front of the website is an interactive map that shows you the location of where all... I'm talking like I'm a sports announcer, and I'm kind of getting a little too excited here. On the front of the website, you'll be able to see just where every interview has taken place. And for your convenience, I swung by Boom Island again. Just like Chusha, <laughs> just like Chusha's episode, uh, we did it there. I'm going to rate this conversation a five Morgans out of a possible five Morgans. <laughs> the highest possible Morgan uh, rating. Because I don't think I've ever been more tipsy or intoxicated during an interview than this one. Really? Yeah. What about your very first one? Oh, with Donnell. Yeah. Okay. I was really tipsy on that one because we were at Mancini's and we were drinking martinis together. That'll do it. The conversation was so, man, if if you're new to this podcast too, that Donnell, I need to stop telling people to go listen to other episodes. I'm sure if people like this, they'll check it out. Hey, before we move on, I want to let's let's just be real. Most of you know that this is the most interactive podcast in the history of the universe. One of the ways is the podcast hotline. Cue the theme, Sarah. Beep boop, bop boop, beep beep boop. So fun. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the best of Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, clinical psychologist and the friend you never had. Sleepless in Seattle. Well, I'm I'm going to get out of bed every morning, breathe in and out. and then after a while, I won't have to remind myself to get out of bed in the morning and breathe in and out. Hello. Hello? Who's there? I'm talking. Hello. Who is this? You know what this is. This is Jason Bourne. Ghostbusters, what do you want? Is this a fake hang-up? It's a fake hang-up. This week's question for the podcast hotline, I would love it if you called in, and here's the question I have for you guys. I'm curious, what is the first beer that you drank and thought about? Now, that's a specific question because I'm not talking about your first beer. I think my first beer was with one of my uncles, a Michelob Golden Extra Coors Ultra Light. It was definitely a Michelob. Something like that. But what is the first beer that you drank that you thought about, that you enjoyed or appreciated? What would that be for you, Sarah? It would be uh, a Blue Moon, which I know now isn't like anything fancy. Yeah. But a Belgian beer. Belgian, Belgian style. Whip. Belgian style whip. And, you know, it has more flavor than kind of the crappy beers yeah. I grew up with in the Midwest. And then it always came with a little orange wedge, yeah. which now I like frown upon, but it's delicious. Blue Moon's great. I love it with, if I get a Blue Moon to this day, I still get it with an orange. I think that is possibly the beer that got me thinking about beers too. It's a little bit on the sweeter side for a beer. It's approachable, super easy drinking. You've got the orange in it. And I don't think the orange is too frou-frou after going to Germany. And if you get a Hefeweizen, yeah, but even in, like the manliest dudes there are drinking a Hefeweizen with a lemon wedge in but it. But in Belgium, they didn't do that. Yeah, I guess there was no Belgian beer that they were serving with fruit with, I don't think. No. Okay, that's awesome. I... I don't, I'm like talking to excited. That's awesome. That's awesome, Sarah. We out. We out. So Sarah, I want to hear from you guys. Call the podcast hotline, leave me a message and tell me what was the first beer that you had that you actually thought about. The podcast hotline number is 612-584-9330. 
And I'm going to link that number because who everybody's listen tip let's be real. You're most likely listening to this podcast episode while driving or at least on your phone doing something else. A lot of people have been writing in saying that they enjoy this podcast, listening to it while they're at work, doing other things. That's just awesome. So because of that, there's no way you're going to write that number I just gave you down. No. But the number is in the show notes for this episode and all others. Or if you want to check it out on the website, thecuriouspod.com has the number right there. It'll just pull it up on your phone. Super easy. Wow. You just call. Leave a call. Leave me a message. I'd love to hear from you. And some of the best messages I'll play next week. So someone say something really impressive. Say something really, really impressive. Oh, the first beer I drank uh, that I appreciated was, was it- a scotch. <laughs> <laughs> You're a goober. All right. Moving right along. Yeah, we got super tipsy. But it was, it was a blast chatting with Kevin. Also, this conversation ended up being one of my most beer focused. So... If there's any of you out there that are curious about beer, how beer is made, brewing beer, this is a great conversation. I talk with Kevin, who used to be a French horn player in the Minnesota Orchestra. We dive into how beer is made. Here's actually where the whole conversation came from. Sitting down with Kevin, I have a question that I've stolen from somebody else. I heard it once before, and it's one of my all-time favorite questions. And The question is this. If you had to give a TED Talk outside of your realm of experience or expertise or what you're known for, what would you give a TED Talk about? I asked him what that TED Talk would be for him. And And he answered quickly. He answered super quickly. And his answer was stress and disappointment and how to deal with both. I like it. Because in music, he had one of the most stressful musical scenarios, playing in a professional orchestra. That's just absurd to me. I can't wrap my mind around that. One of the things... That just astounds me sitting at, we've been at Boom Island multiple times. <laughs> yes. I overhear people saying, I don't like Belgian beer. Or that's mm-hmm. not my thing. In conversation with other friends of mine that drink beer, a lot of people say that. And I dive into what Kevin thinks it is about Belgian beer or characteristics that are noticeable in Belgian beer that he thinks people are thinking about and why he yes. thinks it's just that people have not found the proper Belgian beer. Oh, for sure. I'll be curious to listen to this, though, because I have my own theories. What are some of your theories? I think it's the yeast. Yeah, Um, I think it's it's really yeast. And then I think people get it in their heads, and they don't realize that Belgian beer isn't one kind of beer. There's a bunch of different styles. Yeah. And we talk about how that's defined in our conversation. So I think people think Belgian beer is probably what we're drinking, like some kind of wit beer. Yeah. One of my favorite things about Kevin Welsh and the reason for this title is because he is within stylistically in music and stylistically within beer, two styles that have the most notoriety for pretentiousness possible. However, Kevin's massive thing about both of those is approachability. His biggest passion, it seems like, when he is brewing um, Belgian beer or talking about it with people is making it super approachable and not uh, not bringing pretentiousness into it. And that is something I actually super, really appreciate. I like that. And the same thing with music. I am way heavy into the ignorance pool when it comes to classical music. But every time I talk with Kevin about it, he's super welcoming. He never talks down to you about it. I would hope this would inspire people to go to Boom Island, check it out, try their beers. We're just big fans of it. Everybody there, Kevin Chusha, Jim Behind the Counter, 
It is one of the most welcoming breweries that I've found in Minneapolis while still being passionate about what they do. Mm, yeah. So for those of you that don't live in Minneapolis, don't have the chance to check out Boom Island quite yet. Sucks to be you. Because <laughs> no. they don't distribute outside of Minnesota. <laughs> That's true. So maybe, maybe you're not able to check it out because you live outside of Minneapolis. That's why we have this. I want to. I just want to give people a better visual. I grew up listening to radio shows, and I was fascinated by them. How the radio shows that were telling stories and almost like radio theater mm-hmm. would paint this picture that you could almost see where you were. And I'm curious if I can start doing that a little bit better with this podcast. I drove over to Boom Island to meet Kevin on a snowy winter night. I don't know if it's me, but I feel like Minnesota has been both colder and snowier than it has been in the past five years. Definitely snowier. I don't know about colder. There's snow on the ground. You walk up to the building that contains Boom Island Brewing, and from the street, it's hidden and tucked away. But as you pull into the driveway, you see a hand-painted mural on the side of it, depicting different pictures. Well, it's supposed to look like the kind of city center of, I can't remember which city in Belgium. Antwerp? Maybe Antwerp. Hmm. You see like a fountain and some streets and some little buildings, and it's really well done. We open the door, freezing cold night. It's always warm and glowy. Mm. Probably because Kevin's been brewing. It smells like cereal, but in the best way. How's it going? Hey, good. How are you doing? Say hi to a few people, walk through the crowds, back past the brewing kettles, as there is a fresh batch of beer being brewed as we speak. One of the reasons why we had to pause this conversation so many times. Here's my conversation with head brewer, Kevin Welsh. I always thought, I was having this argument with someone that said, well, you know, what is what defines a Belgian beer? Like, how do you define that? Are there rules for that style? And I was like, well, first of all, you got to back up. You can't, the word style is a relatively new term, right? Yeah. So isn't that, a, I'm, I'm just getting into Michael Jackson, his stuff. <laughs> Bravo. Man, I, I'm, a, I'm like, I'm in a deep, I'm in a deep dive with Michael Jackson's beer stuff. So where many people are with regard to Belgian beer is Belgian beer is a style. Mm-hmm. Belgian beer is... If you were to travel to that country, which we do take tour groups there at this point to meet all my brewing brethren and sister, and to yes. quote my uh, southern family back down south, um, <laughs> we we go and I, I reintroduce everybody to the fact that little village A to village B to village C, they've got completely different brewing traditions historically. And you also have the newcomers that will highlight all of this sort of wonderful tree where, where you go from the strong beers to the dark beers to the lighter colored yeah. beers that have malty goodness or it might be a little bit sour you might have wild fermentation and in fact in belgium they call them mixed fermentations where you've got parallel 
uh, bacteria working at the uh, at the starches and sugars. At the, the wild fermentation being the, the yeast that's in the air, that's airborne. A, airborne yeast or propagated yeast. You can What's capture propagated? It. propagated means you might capture it and you might take it from a little bit of liquid and you streak it on a Petri dish and you grow it up yourself because you like whatever that microbe might be performing as. And if you're lucky, but it started in the, in the oh, air. Yeah, of course, it's all airborne. It's all natural. Man. All of it's natural. I can just imagine how many times I've been here in the tap room where people come in and they're like, uh, "What? So what is this? I've never had a Belgian beer before." And I'm sure you get like a million times a day. What is a Belgian beer? So we like, also uh, get a million, not a million times a day, but we also get on a weekly basis. Oh, I don't like Belgian beers, but I like everything that you brew. Okay, let me. Oh, that's even better question. That's a fun when, one. When someone says I don't like Belgian beer, what do you assume it is that they're met, that is in their mind? My first reaction to that would be, we don't like that person doesn't like a clovey sort of estuary uh, flavor profile, which has maybe some clove, some cinnamon, some some honey notes in the beer. They had one that they really didn't like that tastes like that. So I'll steer them yeah. to... Or maybe the banana-y, Banana, the that's another one. Bubblegum, exactly. banana thing. Oh, those are two that stand Keep going, Rob. Yeah. You're doing it better than I am. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, so anyhow, I, w- I will take perhaps a Belgian pale ale or a Belgian light blonde that has none of those uh, characteristics to it. And then yeah. all of a sudden, I've won them over as, yeah. a, as a total total fan of the brewery. And then they're more open to appreciate the the flavors that they just told me yes. they didn't like about Belgian beer because we just made friends and yes. and then they're wide open and their their minds are open and then their palates are open and then they're completely on board yes okay all right you saying that made me think of something mike said in here in the tap room man a few weeks ago we were talking and he said what really bums him out is whenever when people come in and he calls it the unnecessary categorization of everything and i'm totally going to steal that from him yep. but he the thought of uh when someone comes in and they taste it the first thing people that comes to people's minds is okay what does this taste like i've got to put this in a box uh, and I feel like I wonder if that works against people tasting Belgian beer for the first time or the second time. I don't know. It very much does, but it's very much an American perspective, which is not wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not right, but it's not wrong either. Yeah. Um, you come in with some uh, preconceived sort of expectation, and you may or may not get what you were hoping for. And that's exactly what the person who says i don't like belgian beer well okay now i'm now we've got a point that i can start to work with and i and we've got 14 beers on the board and i can know to steer you away from this one and maybe toward that one and give you a little taste of it or read the look on your face you didn't like that one either okay now we're going to go a different direction yeah oh man which is hilarious because that's what it reminds me of chusha shed chusha chusha I'm still trying to, I keep saying Chusha, but I'm trying to retrain my brain to Chusha. You're getting better and better <laughs> okay, every single better. time. Okay, so Chusha <laughs> said, uh, how even with like Chinese food, she mentioned, you know, I don't expect everybody to like it, but I expect every, I want every human to be willing to try it. And that's kind of like with the Belgian beer. Like, you don't have to like every single one you of these, but to, at least yes, try it. You don't have to I'm like always, it, but it's not going to kill you. I I'm mean, always surprised when people come in here and they don't try or something, or any place, right. I don't know. Well, you know, we get that a lot, and when we're a friendly face behind the bar, yeah. and we taste through people with 
eight to ten different beers. Well, it starts to get a little weird once you've tasted. You ask for a taste of seven or eight beers, and you haven't purchased anything. Well, that's kind of weird. But in need of a flight at this point. Yeah, Yeah. maybe maybe you're deserving of a flight. Yeah. But but anyhow, it's not a big deal. I mean, we're more than happy to do that. But um, there's a whole spectrum of flavors in Belgian beer. Yes. You've got sour fruit beers. You got sour beers that don't have fruit. You've got beers that are made with wheat that have spices in it. You've got beers that are made without spices that taste like they have spices. You got your Abbey style beers that were made for two or three hundred years in the monasteries that um, by the monks within the walls of the monasteries. And now here's the really cool part. You got these uh, th- these heavenly beers made by monks, and they all give them great, beautiful names like Saint Fulian, Saint Sebastian, Saint Bernardus. Saint Bernardus. Oh. You got it. You took the, yeah. that one right out of uh, my mouth. Yeah. I'm just stealing these. And then you get the uh, you get. See, the, I know one or two things, and so I just wait for you. To, I just <laughs> to throw it in to make yeah, myself jump sound in, good. Jump <laughs> in. And then you get the commercial breweries yeah. that make Abbey style beers, and Abbey style beers are brewed by commercial breweries that. Or not monks, so you're doing it for profit. Yes. So in that case, you give it an evil name, yes. like Beelzebub, Satan, Lucifer, Duvel. Yes. Oh wait, we've all heard of Duvel. Yes. Right? Duvel. Yep. Guess what? That means devil oh. in in Flemish. And then you get uh, delirium tremens, of course. I mean, that's the greatest vice of all times, delirium tremens. Right? Mm. You know, you drink too much, and then you have a little withdrawal symptoms. I've, I've, never, have, I've never put that together. Why so that's not, an Abbey style. Uh, why not have a little fun with the same yes. uh, direction? Oh, funny. Thank you for the hookup in Belgium. <laughs> when you shouted out to Sarah and I, we were like, hey, we're going to be uh, in Ghent at the same time. I'm about to incriminate us oh, on man. this one. Yep, you can incriminate us all you want. Man, that was so good. In Ghent, you want to come out and check out a brewery with us, hang out at our apartment, our Airbnb spot that we rented or whatever it was? Hell yeah. That was awesome. (laughs) All right. So here we go. Uh, Rob and Sarah are supposed to be showing up at the Ghent train station. Zentral. Zentral. Yep. And I I show up to pick them up, and I was supposed to have rented a car, but didn't happen. I don't remember what happened. That happened later that day, which got us... Yeah. Way very much late. Yeah. I'm gonna call you out. I think you forgot your driver's license or something. You were you were. Oh, I forgot all sorts of shit. <laughs> forgot my passport, my yeah. driver's license. Uh, the only thing so I good. didn't forget was yeah. the five euros I had in my pocket and coinage <laughs> that uh, that could buy me a Jupiler out of the Coke machine, which gave uh, me uh, one of Belgium's most consumed beers. And is okay. So what's a what's a beer you would compare Jupiler in Belgium is to what that. Is that, like a bud, is that a Bud Light that's or the Budweiser? Bud, that's the Budweiser. And in fact, it's actually owned by MBEF, too. Oh, jeez. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. Oh. Pretty sure it's an MBEF beer. Because it's everywhere. You're getting, brought, like, um, you're getting Belgian beer you can find anywhere. The train station. Train station anywhere. I mean, and there was a there was a brief about 18-month stint yeah. where they made you swipe your ID to get that Jupiler out of the Coke machine. So it's a Coke machine, you swipe your ID and, and then your then card or whatever. And then it proves that you're old, that you're 16 oh, years old. Brilliant. And so then you can uh, get uh, it. Yes. Well, it wasn't checking my ID and I didn't give a damn because yeah, so what, I'm going 40 for years? Yeah, I'm, I'm diving in feet oh, first. Yeah. The, the instructions were stomp off at the Quickie Mart and we get single bottles of everything you've never had. Because you think about... 
you th- I, I think about say like a Certix or like a proper um, a proper store that has like great beer all over the place and a great selection of single single purchase. That's at the majority of That's basically at your seven eleven. Seven eleven over there. And they're all cheap. They're all cheap. The, like the, uh, you got Shimei oh, going for a buck a piece. Oh man, which is what? Like that's seven, eight bucks, nine here. Something uh, like or that. Something like that. It just is heaven. I think I took a picture. I've never taken a picture in a in convenience store before. I probably look like an <laughs> idiot to everybody there. I'm like, I'm in heaven. So okay, anyhow, so we pick up some all, beers. They t- they made the mistake. We're catching of, up. You made the mistake of taking the slow train. Oh, we did. Which stopped in every little village. Yeah. You could have walked the 45 minute train ride and faster. been there faster than yep. that oh yeah then we look up the clock we got some uh, salami we got some uh, ham and cheese at the yep. uh, at, at the nice boucherie and the uh, the the cheese shop the fromagerie and the uh, <laughs> yeah. and we got some bread you know, yep. we we, st- we had a little Wait. bit of food in our stomach oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. no worries there the, home, the the classic home picnic and then the problem was, ended up by then the rental cars parked right outside. Yeah. But I look up the clock, and it's four forty-five. And our tour at Delirium Tremens was at four o'clock. Oh, <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> what the hell are we do? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's yep. hop in this car, and I'm driving. <laughs> yeah. And so we hit the interstate, we hit the highway, and I'm flying down the highway, and I see this big light <laughs> flash in the back of the car, and I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be bad. This is gonna be bad. Um, I must have been doing eighty-five and a fifty-five. And so, anyhow, we got there, and I was like, "Screw that! Hey, that's gonna that's gonna cost me a thousand bucks. We'll eat it." Yeah. Got there. We all hopped out of the car, and I went to park it right out in front of Delirium Tremens. Yeah. And the remaining you three, you us off, yeah. Yeah, Rob, Sarah, and my wife run inside. And then the the tour guide says, oh, he's already off on his tour. Yeah. And then there was another 70-year-old guy, something like that, a little graying. Yeah, graying just his. hanging out in the corner. He's just hanging out in the corner. And he said, well, Patrick's already off, but we thought it was just two of you. Since it's four of you, he might be willing to do another tour. Yeah, what was it, like we'll five see. bucks each or ten bucks? <laughs> yeah, it was ten euros <laughs> each. didn't even put a down payment <laughs> yeah. on it. And so finally, cash his way. he shows back up, says, yeah, of course, I've got more time. These guys are just closing up. Everybody's knocking off at work. We yep. can probably sneak into the back corners yeah. of the brewery. We just assume we'll this is some part-time guy that does tours. He gives us the most amazing tour on the planet. Oh. Come back. Little to know, little did we know. The guy who greeted us was the the brainchild and the brewer and inventor uh, of Delirium Tremens. One of my all-time favorite beers. Incredible. Oh. And it and then he stuck around after the tour was done. Yes. He was still there and he stuck around and he just had beer after beer after beer as if we didn't have just enough. Just hanging already. out with us. Yeah, they said they uh, their tap room. They're just like, yeah, everybody's left. Just go help yourself. So we're at Delirium Tremens. Yeah, go back literally pour, with an open bar. Just go pour yourself one. Yeah, just pour yourself one. Oh, incredible time. Man. Absolutely incredible time. Man, and I think I have, I still need to send that your way. I have some audio of that because we were talking with him. We're <laughs> like, let's that. record that. And so I, I think I have some audio talking with the head he was brewer. Re- he really gave some great inspiration. 
Yeah, he was great. Super nice. Man, that is cool, too, because we have a culture in some brewing, some, I'll say, brewing scenes, and some, like, say, craft cocktail scenes, where there is some snobbery. And like Chusha said the other day, it was like, you know, brewing's for every beer's for everybody. And for some reason here in the U.S., there can be some ego that goes into it. But I feel like every interaction I've had with someone overseas, like him, is like, I'm just like, he was super and, nice, down to earth. And they don't he didn't confuse know he, that. He might as well have been a beer celebrity in our minds. You, yeah. They're proud of what they do. Yeah. But they don't get arrogant about it. And that's totally. what we miss here because you get a lot of arrogance that yeah. goes flying around. And these days, you get a lot of, it's almost desperation arrogance. Yeah. For, oh, we got the, we're going to have the next major whatever breakthrough beverage yeah. comes through. Man, okay, that's a better explanation. That's a better definition than what I was saying because I don't want to bash anybody or make it seem like the culture is that. It happens. But, though. like, what's the, what do you mean by desperation arrogance? All of it's good. And everybody's putting out pretty good stuff. But the, but the problem is, What's going to be the next big thing? And everybody wants the next big thing. Rather than cranking out some good beer and cranking it out with some inspiration. And hopefully you've got people who appreciate it. Oh, man. Do you think that's because... uh, Because I think that definition uh, is great because that's not on anybody. It's not pointed at anybody. It's not anybody's fault. It's It's the whole culture of of like... Do you think it's because we're in this thing where... Do you think there's a bubble of craft beer? Because it's there was a few years where it's like the trendy thing. Yeah, you open up a brewery. Well, everybody's wanting the bubble to break, and yeah. that would have uh, met the expectations of those uh, looking at this whole thing ten years ago. Yeah, when's the bubble gonna break? Well, you know what? That's your typical. Um, that's your typical business-minded investor sort of perspectives yeah when's the bubble well you know what the bubble might not ever break it might mm-hmm. just continue to to fizzle and go smaller and smaller where you not fizzle that was a bad word but where you get it all uh frazzled down into smaller and smaller breweries yes but maybe that's where it happens i don't know yeah there might well, be I mean, others but i'm gonna tell you there aren't many people uh i haven't seen any business uh with plans to expand Surly size, yeah. Uh, in the last, what you say, year, yeah. And some had just announced that uh, they're slashing ten percent of their workforce. Ugh. And there's not only that. Uh, Green Flash just pulled back um, out of thirty-three states. Really? Yeah, but it's all locally just driven be- because, because you- we got small breweries like us that yeah. are providing. And okay. so you got more options. Okay, that rem- but that it's interesting. I don't know where it's going to head. Well, I, I randomly thought of this theory over Christmas break because I went down and we visited Sarah's family, who's in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, there was a great brewery. I think it was called Lionsgate in downtown Cedar Rapids, and they were making great. The beer I had was great, and it blew my mind. I was thinking, I'm in the middle of Iowa having a great beer at this craft tiny cocktail, not cocktail, craft brewery. Um, And I had this thought that it seems like craft brewing is the new, it's the new coffee shop. I just plopped on the table um, a book by Robin Shepard. Minnesota's Minnesota's best best brewers and brew pubs. Searching for the perfect pint. 
Yep. And this was a book that was written uh, six years ago, six to seven years ago. But the cool, the the interesting thing I find, yeah, was at that point, the whole craze would be was about talking about what new breweries are open. Yeah. Even the Growler magazine now still has a column which is. Um, recently opened or damn close, something like that. Yes. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. Yep. And they're still doing that, so they're still pumping up the excitement of the new brewery as if everybody's going to go absolutely batshit crazy about the next one that opens. And it could be because it's spreading out to the suburbs now. Yeah. But anyhow, you've got all these suburbs right in, right outside of the metro. And so you could get excited about that. But there are not so many people excited about, oh, ah, we got so-and-so is opening. It was going nuts when we opened. Yeah, it was It was the newest thing because so, it was uh, at the forefront of it. Yep. Of like, who's opening? We got to go check out the new one. Because I remember being in Minneapolis. If like something new opened, you had to go check it out and you wanted to go find I think that the book, the reason why I, was, why I tossed that book on the table was... Because this was outdated mm-hmm. the instant it was published. Because this has about 20 breweries in it, 30 breweries perhaps. And we were one of them, very thankful yeah. and grateful yeah. that we got a little exposure because of that. The, the, the instant a publication like that is, is on press, it's done. It's already behind the times. But what would be extremely cool is to look back and see what those existing breweries and how they modified their model to compete with the times. We're back from checking the, uh, do you have a batch going right now that you're monitoring? Yeah, it's a batch of brimstone and we desperately need that brimstone for bottles. Okay, I want want to detail. What did you just have to do right there? I got to check the cooling temperature after the boil so so that it doesn't overheat the yeast going in. Yeah. The yeast uh, yeast in beer, uh, the brewer prepares the sugar solution, basically. So you crush the grain, you soak it, steep it at a certain temperature, extract the sugars, you, you strain that out, and then you boil it so it sanitizes it. Then you put in your flavoring elements or your preserving elements, which hops or both yes uh, hops are a preservative because the alpha acids and all but they also give bitterness but they also give aroma if, yeah and depending on how long you boil them but anyhow once you're done with that you you got to cool the liquid from boiling temperature back down to basically room temperature because yeast is a fungus and it's it it works at human body temperature yeah if you heat it up above 110 120 degrees then it's going to die. Yeah. You need that yeast not to die, yeah. but instead eat the sugars and turn it into alcohol. Yeah. Good. And yeah. carbon dioxide, even just equally as good, that gives you the bubbles <laughs> yep. in the beer, especially on unfiltered bottle conditioned beer, which is what we do 100% here at Boom Island. But anyhow, um, that. And it can't be too cold. It's got to be because it's, it's going to go dormant. Gotta be it's it's yeah. got to be at the right temperature. You got it. Man. You're a brewmaster right now, Rob. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Man, any chance I could be around here and learn like the whole process, I feel like I, it just makes me appreciate it more. I just love it. I just, I'm totally soaking it in. Yeah. Toward the tail end of that bowl, you can also put in yeah. your spices. If you're doing Belgian beers that have spices in it, 
So you could put in your coriander, your orange peel, yes. your, your uh, chamomile, or whatever you happen to be your spice of choice, if it is a spiced beer. Yeah. If it's not, then you can choose a yeast that has spice-like elements. You could choose a clean, clean yeast. You could choose any sort of whatever. But the yeast has to eat those sugars to make alcohol and carbon dioxide. Because the byproduct of it. That's right. It respirates the carbon dioxide, the CO2, and then it uh, urinates alcohol. Yeah, man, it's funny. It's funny because that is for anybody like that's listening. I f- feel like that was the best explanation that was ever given to me. Like the byproduct, it literally it farts we, and urinates. It, it fart yeast farts CO two and it urinates, it, it urinates alcohol, alcohol. <laughs> hydroxyl compounds. If you want to get specific about it, I do want to get specific about it. Uh, so anyhow, we end up with that, and then that's yeah. why beer. That's why we have beer that has bubbles in it. That's why the beer has bubbles. That's hops. And, and yeah, Bobby, and, Rob, yeah, we just poured Raba unfiltered. Some uh, unfiltered and I love unfiltered the wheat. I love it's it. got some dry hops in it, and it's got oh. actually hops in the glass. My, but anyhow, the reason why beer has bubbles and why it's foamy yeah. is because the yeast produce CO2. And we here at Boom Island, the CO2, the gas, the bubbles get into the beer under a very natural process, and we don't pump it in from a separate tank. And that's okay, so a lot of times the bigger breweries that you'll, like the bigger mass manufacturers typically. I can say 99% of breweries in Minnesota pump it in from an outside Really? Tank. Absolutely. Okay, so you, may, you essentially, you make the beer. Some people even filter it afterwards to get most. all. Uh, most people. Most people filter it? Most. So you have this beer that you've made, you, you filter it. And then it's you, essentially dead. You try it's, to kill it's it. It's stable. You kill everything that's in there yeah. as best as you can because you think if there's anything living in it, yeah. that's gonna kill the beer. That's gonna make the beer bad. So then it's that's so then it, I mean there's a reason because then it can sit on your shelf as long as you want. It can ship to wherever because you're shipping all over the U.S. if you're a big brewery. But now there comes the great oxymoron. Okay. Because once you kill everything in that beer, at that point. It's got a born-on date and a shelf life. Really? There's nothing living in it. It's sitting there with a predetermined time I'm period not, yeah. where it's going to die. Yeah. And it's going to turn bad. What causes it to turn bad? I, because whatever you your process was of getting it into that bottle with artificial carbonation yeah. is going to introduce some sort of airborne whatever could get into it there's yeah. no perfect process for bottling and that's any bottling no one's or making beer pres- in the vacuum no and you don't have to the yeah. great thing is you do it belgian style you do yeah. it traditionally uh the way people did it a hundred years ago put it in the bottle give it a little bit extra sugar re-ferment in the bottle create natural carbonation the way yes. we do it here yeah it stabilizes itself yeah almost perfectly because almost indefinitely yes i'm correct me if i'm wrong there is still yeast whatever yeast you use that you put in with the beer that has the sugars from the grains it only can eat the amount of sugar that's yeah. in the beer and once the sugar's yeah, gone then right. it, then it just goes dormant but if you add more sugar when you put that's it in the right. bottle and it, then it would eat more sugar then it wakes up it, eats and more it sugar. also would produce more carbonation and more pressure yes and so it's a very difficult process okay to get the beer in the bottle with a measured amount of fermentable sugar and then cap it off, seal it off, so it builds up its own pressure so that you have the perfect presentation 
uh, at once you pop that bottle and pour it into your glass. And it, it's it's very difficult, and that's why most people. That's why most not people, but that's why most breweries don't do that. Yeah, because it's very difficult to control. Um, because it, then, because then it's not stable. Because if you if you kill it off and it's dead, then you know A plus B equals C. I can put this much beer in, and I put the CO two in, and it's good to go. The big problem is oxygen. Okay. Because on an, in any bottling situation scenario, bottling line of any sort. The greatest enemy is oxygen. There's no way to get the beer into the bottle perfectly without exposing it to any with zero oxygen. That is always a measured oxygen dissolved in the liquid is what all breweries will will age and archive their beers and they'll test them out mm -hmm. to see how much dissolved oxygen is in it. Because the oxygen is what all of the other microbes and all of the other staling agents would need to, to, to use and interact with to create the bad flavors. That is when your born on date becomes a killed on date. Interesting. The it creates the shelf date. life. So if you, if you, all right, I'm, I'm just picturing a bottle of beer that's an empty bottle that you're going to put beer in. That bottle is filled with oxygen, mm. obviously. What, how do you combat that? Do you, do some people like, well, pump CO2 into the bottle they'll before? Pump, that's right. That's what happens okay. on the big breweries. They'll pump CO2 into it before. But the, the pumping uh, pipe that goes into the bottle, guess what? When you pull that pipe out, it gets replaced. It creates like a vacuum. ambient air. So even just you a tiny it out, bit. It's a tiny, tiny bit. But it still creates a shelf life. Really? There's going to be a spoilage uh, time period. But... But I, I, I want to get back to the yeah, Belgian yeah. side yeah, yeah. of things and what we do here at Boom Island. Yeah, is we don't even bother with that. <laughs> Stick the beer in a bottle and keep yes. the oxygen in yep. it. Because guess what? We're going to have another fermentation happen yes. in the bottle, and the yeast, the living microbes, the yeast themselves, they eat all of that oxygen and they replace it with CO two. They consume the oxygen in the headspace. They I didn't know that. I didn't know it could so actually consumed oxygen. It didn't, doesn't just push it out. I didn't know that. They live just like human beings. They breathe Ooh. oxygen and they fart CO2. <laughs> so and they'll the, actually... And pee, and pee, <laughs> and alcohol. pee alcohol, which uh, is the wonderful yeah, part of the I'm whole totally thing. I'm totally fine with that. So anyhow, they'll, they'll take all that oxygen and they just basically replace it. Yeah. They take it and they replace it with do, CO2. Do you add, when you're bottling here, do you add yeast? Add fresh yeast that will do a wonderful job of replacing that oxygen with CO2. And they also really? do, they also only eat those very simple sugars that I add for bottling uh, yeah. to create that CO2 and to create that tiny, tiny little bit of extra alcohol. So that technique, like how far back does that date? The it's hundreds of years, and the Belgians the learned Belgian it from. Style. They learned it from the from the Champagne uh, region of France. Really. In in fact, all the old uh, documents is it's Method Champagnois à la ancien, and my my French is terrible, but it's the ancient method of champagne making. Really. Where the yeast is still in the bottle. The modern method is they tip it over and they pull the yeast out and they recork it. But that's fine too. But the old method of champagne making, it was just refermentation in the bottle. Man, I love that. I love, I love, I want, I love seeing a little bit of sediment. I mean, because if you go to Belgium and you get a proper beer, 
the proper way if they pour it because the even most proper way is they'll hand yeah. you right they'll hand you a bottle and let you pour it yourself yeah. but if they pour it they always leave about an inch or so just an inch and if you want to add it you can if you because, don't you don't because it always has a little bit of a yeast sediment in the bottom of a belgian beer bottle and the reason why a belgian beer bottle is corked and caged is because they learned it from the champagne makers in france because champagne yeah. comes with a cork and a cage on it and that's how they do it oh Man, that that's seals awesome. it in, and um, you know the the yeast is good. The sediment at the bottom is good. It's got a lot of B six, B twelve vitamins in it. Good for you. The Belgians say that it helps you to wake up nice and uh, alert the next day. I'm not here to give an FDA warning. Man, but I uh, will say every time when it, I'm incriminating myself. You never felt bad the day after. No, I drink a lot in Belgium, and we drink and I a drink, lot. I drink a lot in Germany too, and yep. I was drinking unfiltered German beer, like. What is is this any of this connected with camera? Because I see I see C A M R A. Yeah, camera is is naturally fermented beer, refermented in bottles. So everything okay. we do bottle condition wise is camera. What, but that's a British for real ale. Th that that's the the campaign for real ale, and that's a British thing, and that's the way they used to be. If we were to rewind the clocks a hundred years ago, everybody did it this way. To me, that's equal to. Um, when, if I buy a scotch, I'm always looking for non-chill filtered. Yeah. Because it's the same. It's not necessarily as, not necessarily the same. But the thought that they are chill filtering and you're taking out all flavor. If you are doing this, you're killing it. If you're stripping me, it out, then what's the point? If you're taking the yeast out of the bottle, there's you're taking out flavor. I was gonna say, I think I need another beer. And I mean, yours was nicely unfiltered too, by the way. This is amazing. I know. I see. I get. Is that what these are? Dry hops. Yeah, dry hops. It's doing its goodness. Oh, dude, it's so good. I, I and I have to go to the bathroom. Me too. All right. Okay, why we had to stop? I well, I had to go pee. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> I had to Primarily, go to the I had to go to the bathroom, and I needed a uh, topper to off on my beer so you can pee again. Well, cheers, by the way. Um, this is awesome. Hoodoo double and triple. Half and half is what they call it at Westmala, but we call it a double triple here. Oh man. Okay, I love that we had to stop for for that because of what just happened. Is you had to take care of something. You're in with a brewery this size. I feel like. You are at. If something needs to be changed, you don't have time just to be like, "I'll take care of it later." You've got to. You've got to take care it's of gotta it. It's got to be dealt with. Yeah, I love that because it's a breathing thing. Okay, so uh, the punchline to your story: we were talking about we're speeding down. We made it to. Uh, we made it to Delirium Tremens. Uh, you saw the lights Mellon go off behind. What's yes. the name of that, that city? Um, and which in Delirium Tremens? That's not the name of the brewery. I thought that was the name of no, the it's brewery. That's Hacha. Hacha. That's the, oh, that's man. it. You okay. said it better than I did. <laughs> no, I, I just, <laughs> I'm just mimicking it. So that, so you get home and you think you're gonna get this massive speeding ticket, or did you, did you think you were gonna luck out of it? Well, we're in a rental car. <laughs> yeah. And so first of all, <laughs> in Belgium, they, they have my credit card. I, yeah. You know, whatever gets rung in gets rung in, and I'm a little bit worried about this mm -hmm. damn thing. But we ended up having a. Yeah, it's, I would say it's $2,000 worth of a visit when you get to meet the creator of Delirium Tremens. Uh, man, it and was insane. And it's a party insane. of four. Yeah, they thought it was uh, two of us. And then yeah. it's, it's, it's Rob and Sarah as well. And then I get worth home uh, three weeks later, and I get this email. Speeding ticket. 
It's uh, yeah. what is it? Sixth Car is the name of the uh, rental company. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> uh, this ain't gonna be good. <laughs> Just instantly when you you pull it out of your mailbox, it seemed like a great moment, yep. and I'm flying down the highway. Yep. <laughs> what is the euro at that point? It was about uh, a dollar, dollar ten, dollar twenty to a euro. Yep. A dollar ten was one euro. Yeah. Yep. At that point in time, how much was it? $20 ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, why didn't I think of speeding down the highway more often oh, than man. that? That was a okay. wonderful idea. These views that I'm about to say do not reflect Boom Island or anybody other than Rob Morgan, but if you are driving a rental car in Belgium, speed away, says Please I. speed. Speed away. Because <laughs> it'll be worth it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it was a wonderful time. Uh, okay, um... All right, here's a question for you. So the reason, um, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because I feel like we live in a world where um, all we see is like the social media posts of people. We see the outside, the successes, which is natural. I'm going to post great things that I'm doing. Yep. And we'll uh, repost. Oh, totally. Too. Yeah. And I'm, you, you know, know you're, you're going to put in. your best foot forward. You have to. If yep. You're going to be successful. Um, and I'm not going to be, there's a certain level of vulnerability and openness that you reserve for people close to you. So, but the downfall of that is I feel like we have a society now where you only see, we see our behind the scenes and we judge that against other people's highlight reels. So when you and I were chatting, uh, man, maybe I think that this, this sit down has been six months in the, in the running because I remember we were sitting down over beers uh, and from the outside, you're a dude who you've played French horn, Minnesota orchestra. You've done all this stuff, moved here, performing, doing this brewery from the outside. In my mind, I'm like, dude, you've got it all together. What, what do you, you've got nothing. And then you drop this bomb saying, I asked you, like, if you had to give a Ted talk out of something outside of beer, your answer was you would give a Ted talk about stress and disappointment and how to deal with both. What's your answer? I don't know if you remember that. Well, I don't know what the answer is. Was then? Yeah. But I can toss you out one at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can for, only assume. I'm ignorant of the, the classical for, world. Yeah, for me, playing with Minnesota Extra, and you, you sit down, you got unexpected call Friday night, nationwide broadcast concert. There's stress involved. You don't want to screw up. You don't want to miss too many notes. You want to, you know, blend in and sound good. It's stressful. It's very stressful. But then you you pride yourself on on who you characterize yourself as at the moment, but also did you represent yourself well? Did you try hard? Did you do your best? In your mind, you think you're only as good as you your know, last gig. That's right. And then the problem is with that sort of uh, scenario, I mean, it's the top of the top. It's as high as it gets. It's the best... <laughs> Literally, anybody who's playing with Minnesota Orchestra could play with Chicago Symphony, could play with the Boston, could play with Concertgebouw, and and and, and it's all yes. a network. These guys will all support one another, and they will exchange. For example, the lockout that happened a few oh, years yeah. back. I mean, half of these guys went to Chicago playing, and the other half went to New York or they went to Europe, and they were they were filling in their gigs. What hap- What started the lockout? Because it's all in the same. I, I can't speak on okay. behalf of that. Yeah. I would love to, yeah. but I was I was a sub with that orchestra. Yeah. But the uh, but where my point was headed was if you're playing at that level, yeah, of 
expertise. Uh, that sounds like an elitist word, but if you're if you're playing at the ho- top of the top, man, I'll say it. There's expertise. some stress. Holy crap! There's some major stress that goes on, and so you step on and you're hanging every job on what you're doing at the moment. Man, and I how you sound. I feel like I have done just enough, just enough in music in my career to know that I don't understand and I will never understand the amount of stress an orchestral player has. Oh, goes you'll get through. it. You well, got it's, it's, there's, already. You'll never, you'll, nobody outside of the classical world will understand that. I mean, it is, it's perfection. It's perfection, but it's also, yeah, it, it, the one, the one uh, metaphor that I've, that I've heard that really makes a lot of sense. You hear one person in the back of the second violin section that makes one little slip and the whole orchestra swims like a school of minnows. Really? And just adapts and adjusts. And, and you just it just fixes itself. Hmm. One, time after time after time again. And chamber music's also really wonderful. And that's kind of where I'm moving uh, for, yeah. for the future for music for myself. But moving into the brewing industry, that's a lot. It's a lot different. The stresses are a lot different, or the, yeah. the the types of stress yeah. are a lot different. I want to make sure that every beer tastes great every single time it's poured, yes. and it's not possible to know that because when you send it out and you distribute it, you never know how it's going to taste when it finally ends up in the hands yes. of the uh, of the audience member. I mean, yeah. the customer was never put more perfectly than Peter Buchart from New Belgium. No, from Rodenbach. The the amazing brewmaster from Rodenbach, that mm-hmm. was at, at uh, that that was hired to come to the U.S. by uh, New Belgium, yeah. And now he has his own brewery um, in Colorado. But he said it's it's wonderful. It's like a performance. It's a ten minute performance in a glass. Yeah, well, maybe and you, if you don't um, drink as fast as I do. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you yeah, got that right, right? or me. Uh, I love it. <laughs> mm. But anyhow, this is what yeah. we run into time after time and time again. And you know that at Delirium Tremens, the the creator of Delirium Tremens, it was an art form. Yeah. And that's the way he treated it. Yeah. And that's the way every single Belgian brewer that I've ever met yeah. treated the beer that they produced. Yeah. It's art. Yeah. Just and, like, it's a, and it's a craft. Yep. Like it's an ongoing obsession perfection changing like you're saying earlier shifting whatever it is yep and you and that is the same as playing on the stage when that school of minnows shifts to the right by 10 degrees yeah that that's wonderful man okay because it's it's funny you're saying this about the different types of stress because when i if i picture from the outside the stress of being on stage is in the moment stress stress where you have to force yourself to be completely in the moment. Yeah, uh, you're not thinking big picture. You're not thinking. You're not thinking any more than like maybe three measures down. That's right. Uh, but the stress being in the brewery is almost. It's almost big picture stress. Do you feel it? Well, Does that, it feel the same? That's I don't a bit know. of my problem. Is that I feel it as a is a moment to moment stress still. Really, and that's where I'm very much complimented by my wife, uh, Chusha. She sees the big picture. Yeah, and she keeps me, she keeps me uh, planning for the big picture. 
where yeah. myself, I'm just, it's in my bones to be the moment to moment. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say damage control, but the moment to moment, fix whatever's happening, what's whatever's quasi out of line, yes. steer it in, get it going. Yes. But she's got the big picture. And I. Sarah and I are the same way. I'm not afraid yeah. to admit my faults. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a, I don't, I don't see yeah. a big picture, but. I love to dream of the yeah. big picture, but I'm not a visionary. But that's where my strength is, is her, where she can see that. The big picture yeah. stuff. And that's where it works out really well. You so know, I've, she's got that, and I've got the day-to-day. Uh, -day. It like, complements itself. Yep. Man, okay, so I can. I feel like I and whoever would be listening can picture the stress of a musician. But what I, I have no idea what, like, the... Uh, in the moment stress of a brewer would be do you have like an example of what would be stressful no it was just like a moment ago when i when i said rob could you hit pause yeah. i need to step over and make sure that that temperature is the right temperature it's literally always coming back with every brew with every new batch of beer anything that's happening at the moment is going on in my head i can i'm really good at that i've got yeah. about, i can have about five to ten things happening yeah and keep keep close tabs on them at yeah. the moment yeah but to think about what i'm going to do 30 minutes from now is is not exactly my strength but it, it, it's okay you know everybody's got the strengths everybody doesn't yeah. you know some people do some people don't but but you've got to you got to grasp what your strengths are and yeah. find somebody and compliment you and why that's i meant well I mean, you, you're talking my language because i'm the same way like i I feel like I've gotten I'm really good, at least even maybe music. I don't know if maybe music's trained that into me to like you're forced to be in the moment and thinking two steps ahead. Yeah. And you have to be thinking two steps ahead or you'll fail, but you can't think more than that or you won't be right here right now doing right. what you do. So, uh, so how do you, I don't know, how do you do a stress with that? Do you, well, I would, have you found like tricks to like, Calm yourself down in the moment if you're like performing when for, you're for the music it was to it was to prepare overly prepare. And so I would be the guy that would sit and do uh three and a half, four four hours of uh scales, arpeggios, uh, uh routines, this and that, flexibility, this and that. And I I do that also with the beer when I'm I've got an extra little bit of time, and I'm sitting here, and I'm studying out what the anaerobic cycle of that strain of yeast is versus this. And when I've got a little bit extra time in my hands, I love to sit down with a Petri dish and plate those guys out, put them on test tube slants, and then experiment with them. So by the time you're putting grain to water, you've already been there in your head mentally. It's already 10 there. Ten times Already before. there. But but the, the wonderful <sighs> thing with... Yeah, um, that's with the with making beer is you're working with nature yeah that's also a wonderful thing about music but you feel like when you're playing the french hornet for example there's a certain amount of control yeah that you've got to have built in in the brewery you've got the control over preparing the medium with which the yeast can ferment the beer hmm. the brewer doesn't make the beer the brewer prepares the food that the yeast can yeah. eat and the yeast make the beer you want to get that yeast as healthy as possible and then they do the magic but that's where the fun happens and that's where it 
I said magic a couple of times in the last sentence. That's Ma- where the magic I, really happens. I really happens. do. Man, that is my favorite thing about beer. That's why I have become passionate about beer is because there is something. There's only a certain – like there's a, there's a really long way you can take beer. But once you get to a certain point, it's in like this magical realm that you have to get, let your hands off of. It almost sounds like, you know what, it sounds like the difference between your music and stuff sounds like it's the difference between live performing and being in a studio. Oh, a studio is tough. Which is, which is totally, they have their both same I, stresses. I've done but you a little have, bit of that. Yeah. But you can still be in the studio and plan stuff out a little bit more and have, you have a little bit more off time. It depends before. on who's paying the check, <laughs> yeah, who's man. signing the check. I'm going to tell you. The most, uh, the, the, the highest paid by the hour yeah. I ever received was doing the Macy's Christmas commercials four years ago. And it was all of the, uh, it was all Nutcracker stuff that was arranged mm. by a friend of mine uh, here in town. Yeah. And I was playing with uh, the, the, horn, the trumpet and the trombone guy yeah. in Prince's band. We sat down and I'm supposed to record all four French horn parts. And we start with horn track number four, number three, number two, and number one. And it was, it goes on, and yeah, and it's it's not just that one movement of the of the Nutcracker. It's all of it, the whole damn Nutcracker. <laughs> uh, were you stressed in the moment though? Was it like? Well, I was only stressed at the one point, and now this is where I learned a lot of respect for the studio guys, because the one guy behind the glass, yeah, he said, "Hey." Horn player, that low A down there, you know, uh, octave and a half below middle C, it's riding a little high. Can we do it again? Oh, shit. I, <laughs> I pulled, I pulled a safe fingering, yeah, thumb three, so that I can nail it. And he heard that it was not quite in tune. And it's like absolutely. Yeah, and I use the same fingering, but I lipped it a little lower. Yeah, he's like, ah, all right. Uh, After that no. second track, well, yeah, that yeah, sounds a little better, but it's still not. It doesn't quite have the same resonance. Yeah, it's like, oh fuck, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, all right, I'm gonna lay down the legitimate fingering and hit it, and I clammed it, of course, and I yeah, yeah, and then he said, okay, we're gonna do it one more time. That one was in tune, but yeah. it had a little clam on the front end. I'd rather. Are you not recording with it. everybody at the same time, or just, now are you just overdubbing? Me. Oh my god! Yeah, and they're standing there, there yeah. just. Everybody's waiting for you. Everybody's in the waiting for me oh. to get the hell out of yeah. there, and you, I've got headphones on my ears. Yes, and I'm sitting there, and I go, yeah, and I said, okay, this guy's got good ears. I got to do. I got to nail it this time. And I yeah. finally nailed it on the fourth try. And he's like, safe fingering or no, 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 it wasn't the safe fingering. It was the very dangerous fingering, oh. but I. I, I clipped it straight on, and it was in tune. And then he said, thank you. Perfect. <laughs> Seth's done. Have and a great rest of the afternoon, you. guys. Oh, and everybody's oh, like, would you just freaking play the Dude. note? Yes. Man, it, it was only uh, one note. So it's, so it's fingering with the French horn. Is that that's the hand you're putting in your? Oh man, I'm not even getting no, that because I'm got, just so ignorant. <laughs> you've got two different horns you're playing, and so yeah. you got a thumb valve, right? Yeah. So you're playing an F horn or a B flat horn. Yeah. And so I'm faking it on the higher horn so that the the intervals are spaced further apart, so I can not miss the note. Yeah. So and you have a little bit more it, wiggle room. Yeah. But it's not quite as in tune. Man. And I'm trying to lip it in tune with my lip. Yeah. And then he heard it. Yeah. 
And then I said, well, you know what? A damn near lip it better in tune this time. And I got it closer. I was like, well, yeah, that was pretty darn close. But but you know what? Can you just hit it in tune this time? Yes. It's like, okay, now you're talking to my pride. I'll hit it in tune. Uh, and I put the right fingering down, which yes. was a standard. Yeah. And uh, Well, we- you're talking my language because standard, <laughs> standard pop session is your full band. If it's a full band tracking at once, you track it down and... Uh, the the engineer producers pretty much only listening to the drummer yeah. and you get all the takes you need for the drums to nail it and then they go back and listen to like okay bass player what was your best take they listen to it yeah. and if you haven't figured it out by then then you have to do the overdubs that's and right and that is embarrassing because you have to get bass and drums it's the same thing everybody's waiting for you staring at you the, yeah everybody's and you just looking like at the you the biggest jackass the whole string you, oh. it was a string quartet oh. which was oversampled yeah. to sound like a yeah. whole orchestra. Man, is there a speaking of stress in music, I feel like the I, I hear that a ton, the technique of that was always told to me, you're either overprepared or you're underprepared. Same you're never you're never in the middle. There's but, no preparedness. You're either overprepared yeah, or there's under-prepared. a lot of truth to that. But um but I've got a lot of save it for the show thoughts and theories at this point. What's save what's save it for the show? Don't over rehearse. But the problem is you'd better be qualified first. Yes. If yes. you're there to rehearse, yeah. then you can't just run it down in one shot and say, okay, good. But you better be freaking prepped be on your end. Be fucking prepped to totally. start out with. Hell yes. The music equivalent of that that I agree with is there's a bunch of people, and myself back in the day when I was younger, that thought, uh, well, I'll just, as long as I'm good by the time the performance is happening. No, people are listening to you in rehearsal. No, you need to have rehearsal. your crap together. As soon as you step in the door, and if you don't, that's on you. And people, the second someone tastes your beer, the second someone hears you, whether it's in rehearsal, it, judgment's happening. If you're not ready for rehearsal, you're not yeah. ready for prime time. That, that's that's yeah. uh, that's a that's what lots of people need to learn. Don't come into it as an amateur and pr- and pretend like you're a professional. If you're not ready for rehearsal, you're not ready for prime time. If that you, is badass. Yeah. If you're not ready, that's exactly right. If you're not ready for rehearsal, you're not ready for prime time. So it sounds like your whole dealing with stress is proactive. I'm trying to think if there, if from like talking to a professional like you, is there any reactive stress things things you've learned? If you're in a reactive mode, you're not heading anywhere positive. It's about to go downhill fast. That's all I can say. It's so good. I, I, to be completely frank with yes. you, Rob, if you're not dealing with that stress and you're in a reactive scenario guess what that next performance ain't gonna be good dude that is that's just, so heavy just that be is so prepared heavy. just yeah. just prepare ahead of time just it's not prepare. that complicated just make uh, sure you're ready for prime time before you deal it to the day to the deck uh, it's not that hard that is so good okay this oh wait, the second part of that disappointment how to deal with stress and disappointment. What kind of disappointments have you run into? Is there like musical disappointments or anything? I don't know what you... There's an example to of what totally, you've learned. To yeah. be totally real with it, of yeah. course. I you sometimes leave those uh, those performances with the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And you walk out and got your tail behind your legs. You know, tucked yeah. in. And it's like, oh... It doesn't feel good, but then you show up the next week, and then everybody's yeah. all supportive. Yeah. Because they know you just had a rough week, and you yeah. got your colleagues to support you. 
you, is there a something that started as a disappointment in either your music or brewing something that started as a disappointment but actually turned into looking backwards as an opportunity that turned into a positive that yeah. you can think of our next beer yeah that you're releasing yeah or is it or in the general no, sense whatever the next it's one the is the next big thing yeah what is it? I can't you say. You can't say? Oh, when's but it going to be released? Well, okay, we're, well, okay. We're, you and I are going to okay. have one here in just a moment oh, once the microphone's turned okay, off. So, but um, it was not one that I was super, super happy about. Okay, yeah, don't tell me about the beer, but uh, what it's happened? Gonna be, it's going to be wonderful. Okay, so what? tell me like vaguely what happened. What was the disappointment? Well, you know, the, the vision was proposed to me. And it was proposed by by my wife. And yeah. it, it was uh, it, it was a beer that was inspired on our last trip back to her hometown in China, uh, Chengdu and Sichuan province. And I came back, and I brewed it up. And I tell you, it's not my favorite one on tap, though. I, I like. I, I could pick six other beers off of tap that I like more. But yeah. you know what? It's a perfectly executed beer. And what has changed is the vision for it. And this beer yeah. is going to be outstanding. So what was the disappointment? That it just wasn't your favorite? Yeah, it just ended up not being what appealed to my what appealed to my palate. So you, you tasted it. The first time you tasted it, and you're like, ah, this isn't... No, I'm I tasted totally it, and I thought, well, well that's perfect. It, yeah. It's but actually it's not, perfect. Yeah. It's just not the beer that I would... It's not getting me pumped. Yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. But it's a wonderful beer. Yeah. And that started out as one that I tasted for the first time, and I thought, hey, that's not, yeah, eh, okay, there's not a whole lot, oh, there is something special about that. And then it was slowly changed in my mind, and then it became what it is and what it's about to be. Yes. And this one's going to be incredible. Oh, that's Absolutely awesome. incredible. That's cool. Man, maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't have any answers, but I feel like that maybe that's just a big thing I need to take away from this is like right. that if you're disappointed in something, maybe that like write it off, but sit on it. Maybe look forward to the next thing, not dwell on the past. There's always something more. Yeah. And it's not all about yourself. That's it, isn't it, Rob? Yeah. There, that's what that's what this whole point of the, yeah. this whole podcast. You're, yeah. It and that's beer. That's everything we're talking about. It's yep. not just about. It's not about competing against the guy down the road. No. It is just for the love of beer. If if one person does great, we all do great. It moves the whole thing forward. It moves the whole thing, and that was what I mentioned. I mentioned a few names. Yeah. You know, I, I said nobody's opening a a brewery the size of Surly these days. Well, there probably will be. You yeah, know? at some point. <laughs> Maybe uh, tomorrow. Man. But but anyhow, you got all these uh, and those others that I named. You know what? We're, we're in it together. Yeah, it we're totally in it all is. together. Yeah. Okay. If they're to close this up, to, oh man, this has been awesome. To close this up, if I had a hope from this podcast, my hope for this episode is besides anybody that takes something away from this personally, is to get people in here. I would love for people to like come check out Boom Island. 
because I feel like Bloom Island is the perfect blend of excellence and you nerding out about beer and like doing the greatest you can. But then also there's zero pretentiousness. Like everybody is Every, everybody I've ever talked to feels welcome here. Jim's behind the counter, like willing to talk you through the Belgian beer if you've never tried it before. Is, so is there something, like any events upcoming? Because this is going to be coming out uh, later this month. we got a couple of releases coming up. We've got the Creek, the the, the two-year-old barrel-aged sour, yeah. uh, cherry beer. We've got we've got a handful of others. But but what gets pumped, what, what gets me pumped yeah. is seeing a new person walk through that door and it would be a person that would or would not necessarily be spotted in another tap room around town because everybody's welcome here. And what Rob just said, unpretentious, we don't have a pretentious bone in our no. body. Yeah. We love everybody. Yeah. This is random. I don't normally do, I do this. You've been a musician. You've been a student. You've been a professional. You've been a, a student brewer. You've been a professional brewer. If there's someone creating something, if you had to say something, if you had like an ask of someone creating something. It's two. It's twofold. Yeah. The first layer is um, study, study, study. And I'm going to say this from the uh, musician side. Learn your etudes. Learn your skills. Learn your basics. And then second, don't get too proud of yourself. But once you arrive, then start to express. Don't put the cart before the horse. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's so awesome. You, you, can't, you can't do aleatoric improv until you can play a box sonata, mm -hmm. cello suite, whatever. What have you? Yeah, the pe a piece of cake like that. <laughs> Learn, yeah, which is not. You yeah. got that right. I love the sarcasm. No man, everything I do, if it comes to beer, I've brewed beer. Yeah, I've brewed beer, but I brew like basic ales. I've made music, but I'm, not, I'm never doing it on the level but, of you. But Rob, that really sums up the way my approach to beer making is. Yeah. Is you better study the classics, study the classics. There's a reason why I did a Belgian pale, and then. A Belgian double and a Belgian triple, Abbey style double, triple. And then you release a Saison, but you study, study, study yeah. what Saison DuPont did and what, uh, what the other uh, farmhouse breweries did uh, in the southern and the Wallonian area and, and, and Belgium did. And you, you take the inspiration from those guys and you mm -hmm. learn from the classics, just like I learned all of my etudes, the coat brush, the cling, the uh, the all of the all the scales, all the arpeggios, and then you start to learn the Bach cello suites. Yeah, and then and you learn to play those from memory before, and then you get on, you perform one or two. Yeah, before you get out and you and you start to play the concertos. The big, oh man, it's incredible. But you got to learn your basics first before yeah. you go freewheeling. Yeah. Study the people that came before you, yeah. whatever you're in. Oh, man. Thanks for drinking beer and hanging out with me and giving me your time. Easy as that, Rob. Anytime, uh, man. Hey, guys. This is Rob with just a quick note before you head off into your week. I just wanted to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to any of you that have rated, commented, or subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. 
Also, thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and shared your stories of how these interviews or some of these conversations have impacted you, have inspired you. Man, that has been so awesome to hear. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact, and I'd love to hear your stories or any just questions you may have for me. Hey, while you're over there, if you want to check out show notes for this or any of the other interviews I've done or contact info for this guest or any of the others, head over to thecuriouspod.com for any of that. And also, I'm really pumped about this. We have a map right there on the front of the website that shows all the locations that these interviews and conversations have taken place. It's pretty cool. You can click on it. You can see where these have done. If you want to go visit them, if you've heard something you like and you want to go check it out for yourself, that's right there. Or you can just check it out at thecuriouspod.com slash map or just right there on the front of the website. I'll show. I'll show. Also, if you want to reach out to me on social media or follow me anywhere, pretty much everything online is the Rob Morgan at the Rob Morgan, whatever you, you, you know, the drill. All right. Enough of that nonsense. All this podcasting has made me thirsty. You know, (laughs) I am so pumped that I do not have to deal with sponsors for this podcast or else I'd have to tell you podcasting makes me thirsty and nothing quenches a podcast thirst whether you're listening, uh, interviewing, editing, recording, listening to something unrelated to a podcast. Nothing quenches a thirst like a Guinness. Hey Hofi, can I steal you for a second? Do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? I'd like to take a minute to thank Guinness because it truly is made of more. That's all. Alright. That's it. Thanks. Uh, I love that crap. All right. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Anything else? Thanks for being here. (laughs) Say the most random thing you can think of. Yell it. I got nothing. The only word I can think of is formaldehyde. (laughs) Perfect.